Good morning and welcome to Grace. I am Pastor Ryan. Well, today's installment in our series entitled Show and Tell is going to focus on the distinctions in the responsibilities between what we do in obedience to the Spirit's leading and what only God can do in the missionary endeavor towards making disciples. Thanks for listening today as we will examine Jesus' words from Luke's Gospel to preach the message of repentance and forgiveness in the Spirit's power and in Jesus' name. Well, good morning. Um, This past week, uh, I had got uh, one of those letters in the mail, a jury summons. Anyone ever get one of those in the mail? Yeah. Welcome back from vacation. Here you go. Back at it. And of course, I showed up with my other uh, 21 compadres there as we are all dutifully uh, obedient to our request. And guess whose name got picked? Guess who it was? Because of course it was. So uh, yes, they pulled my name out of the hat. I got to sit there as one of the jurors. And it was, it was, actually, it was actually very educational. The only time I've ever encountered a courtroom is on TV. And, uh, you know, the, you can't handle the truth type of stuff. None of that happened, right? And objection, and, and you're out of order. No, you're out of order. None of that. It was none of that happened. So, But one of the things that did happen that was really eye-opening to me was the way in which there was such confidence in the system of a witness. When, uh, when you had a, a prosecutor, prosecutor and then you had a defense and each would call their person to the stand the judge would have them raise their right hand and swear an oath of truth they had to give accurate information to whatever question was being asked and this is the part that i thought was so interesting because in the time where i would uh in the past have seen that they would be um having to like get the jury on their side and and convince somebody of something there was none of that There was no effort of manipulation, no effort of having to like really get someone to believe. All they did was report on what they had seen and on what they had heard. That's what a witness does. They don't have any of this extra baggage of having to make sure the jury sees it their way. All they do is report on what they've seen and on what they've heard. There's a word for that, this this word report, a really great biblical word. You know what the word is? testify. That's what a witness does. A witness gives testimony. Well, we are in a series called Show and Tell. We're looking at the commissioning texts from the New Testament as Jesus tells his disciples what they are supposed to do. And the theme for today is that of being a witness. As I've been studying through, uh, through the passage today in this subject material, one of the main things uh, that just kept jumping off the page to me was, I think, a recalibration in some of the expectations we carry as witnesses. I don't know if you feel this way ever, but I know in the past I felt this way. And I think sometimes I as a pastor might even risk putting an extra pressure on you as God's people that, you know what, it's up to you to convince people to love Jesus. That's up to you. You know it's not. It really is not up to you. There is an entire um, magnitude of work that God alone does. And that your response to it, my, my response to what God does, 
is really so very small. And all it takes is a little faith and obedience to make sure that I'm doing my part because God is the one who's doing the rest of the work. I think sometimes we can be short-sighted in our ability to think missionally because we think, I can't do it. Come on, be honest. Have you ever felt that way? That, you know, I, I know we're pastors in this series over and over talking about missions and uh, you know, I've been telling my family member for so long, or I try to do the best I can, but there's this kind of either guilt or pressure that we carry that is like a sandbag around our ankles that makes us think, you know what, I'm not even going to try. I tried when I was younger, it didn't work. I'm just going to live my life, I'm just going to do me, they're going to do them, and we're just going to get through this thing. Be honest, have you ever felt like that a little bit? And I, I'm hoping to correct that a little bit today. Instead, what I'm hoping for you to carry away from today is such a confidence in God to do the heavy lifting. The only thing left for you to do is what those witnesses I saw do this past week in this trial, which was simply report on what they have seen and report on what they've heard to give their testimony. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and today's message is really, <laughs> excuse me, it's really a two-parter. So you're only going to get, uh, well, you're, you're going to get the whole thing for today, but we're, this is so crucial, we're going to revisit the same subject again next week. Uh, this morning we're looking in the Gospel of Luke. Well, Luke only, uh, Luke didn't only write one volume. He wrote another book that we have in our New Testament. Uh, shout it out if you know what it is. The book of Acts, that's right. And so we're going to be next week in the book of Acts revisiting a lot of these same themes, I, I believe intentionally by God's wisdom, such that we really understand the role of a witness as to what our responsibility is in contrast to God's heavy, heavy load for what God alone has to do. So today, uh, really two themes that I want you paying attention to. Uh, the first is going to be the role of a witness. And again, that, that theme of how, what, God, what does God do and then what do I do. In your sermon notes, if you have those inside your bulletin, you'll see that our first six, six observations, is that what it is? Yeah, first six observations are all going to be looking at what God does, and there's only two little ones left for us. So that's the first thing I want you to pay attention to. The second thing I want us to pay attention to is the role of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're going to, I was praying this morning, Holy Spirit, I, I, I need you to come and fill us. We are in many ways seeking to correct centuries of church tradition uh, because we have failed to really utilize what God has given us in the Spirit of God that is the power onto declaring a witness for the good news. We need the Spirit's power. We need the Spirit's filling here today. And so as we're going to study this passage, that's the second part that I really want us to drill in on is the nature of the Holy Spirit. And before we read the text, I just want to give this picture in your minds. Um, I, I, I think of it like a sailboat. Anyone ever uh, been on a sailboat? Um, a, a sailboat moves by what power? Power of the, the wind. Right? There, there, there's no motor. There, there's, no, uh, there's no engine on a, on a proper old-fashioned sailboat. There's only a sail. So if there's no wind, where's that boat going? Nowhere. You know what it does? It has to wait for the wind. And when the wind comes, the wind moves the boat in what direction? The direction the wind wants to go. And, and that metaphor is, 
without losing it for the way in which you can, you know, really navigate a sailboat any which way, without losing the metaphor, the picture I want you to hold to is that you're like a sailboat. I am like a sailboat. And part of our job and what we'll see from Jesus' own words to the disciples is that there needs to be an obedience of waiting for the Spirit's empowerment. And then when there is, there needs to be an obedience of following the direction that the Spirit empowers us to go. You guys with me on that metaphor? That's, that's what I, I love just going through your head as we look through this. So Luke chapter 24, the very end of the gospel. Um, we're going to be <coughs> looking at verse 45 through 49. I was looking uh, over some of my past messages, and it was almost a year ago we studied this exact same passage right out here. Um, I don't know if you remember COVID season 2020, but a lot of bad news a lot of the time. And so we did a series called Good News. I don't know if you remember that, but this was one of the same passages that we looked at. Uh, I thank God we get opportunity a year later to revisit it once more. Luke chapter 24, starting in 45. Luke says, Then he, Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay, that's it. This, this is the great commissioning text out of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, last Sunday, we looked at Mark. We saw how it was the angel that told the ladies there at the empty tomb. Do you remember what it was? Go and tell. That, that was the message. And then later, uh, we have recorded by the church Jesus' words. You know, I want you to go into all the world and preach the good news to all of creation. Uh, a week before that, you heard from Paul Jacobs from one of the most important passages in the entire New Testament, Matthew 28, 19. And thank you, Chris. <coughs> Matthew 28, 19, uh, as Jesus says, therefore go make, do you remember what it is? Make what? What are you supposed to make? Make disciples. Uh, take a sip here. What are you guys? What are disciples supposed to do? Make what? What are you guys? And what are disciples supposed to make? Should we go over this again? Or are you good? You got it, right? <laughs> Disciples make disciples. Yeah, so we, we have Matthew's text. We have, we have uh, Mark's text today. We have Luke's. The first observation I want you to see is what I'm calling the divine discovery. If you have your sermon notes, that's the first blank for you to fill in there. Discovery. Uh, this, the situation around this is that the disciples here, um, having met Jesus, uh, two of them on the road to Emmaus, and then Jesus appearing with the rest of the eleven, as they were unexpected, they still lacked an ability that they didn't have, which was to recognize that the entirety of the Scriptures speaks as a testimony, as a witness about Jesus. They, they couldn't do this on their own. They needed God to be the one who opens their eyes. Uh, there's a beautiful passage that comes uh, to the letter to the Ephesians, I'd like to read for you Ephesians 1, 15 to 18. Paul writes this. 
He's writing to the church, mind you. Not, not, a, not a brand new church plant. Just like you guys, he's writing to the church. Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance for God's people. Do you see Paul's prayer? Paul loves the church. And so as long as he hears of the church in Ephesus, he says, I keep giving thanks for you. And here's my prayer. I pray that your hearts will keep opening, that the eyes of your heart will just keep opening, that they will be enlightened so that you will begin to see all that God has to show you. This is the same thing that Jesus does for the disciples in Luke 24. They still haven't been able to see it. And so God is the one who delivers for them the ability to see. You know, there's a few things in our world today that I think are analogies of this. Because every single one of us as followers of Jesus need to have our vision changed. The The way I like to phrase it is we have to have spiritual eyes to see this world. I was talking with a friend this week about the way we used to see some uh, some type of sin in the past. And in the past, it used to look satisfying. But now that we know Jesus, it does not satisfy anymore. Do you know what's changed? Our vision. The, the eyes of our hearts have been opened so that we see the world differently than we used to see it. You guys ever see maybe in a dentist's uh, waiting room, one of those magic eye books. You, you, they're, they're, this is a little old here, back in the 90s. Come on, help me out here. You know what I'm talking about? It looks like just gibberish scribbled colors, but if you stare at it and you look a little cross-eyed at it, you can kind of see something that's hidden there. Now, raise your hand. Be honest. Have you ever been able to get it to work? There's like, okay, quite a few of you have been able to get it to work. Now, I don't know, because I have in the past, I can't anymore for some reason, but I I used to be able to. And once you see it, now you can't not see it. It's always there. Uh, There's a similar way of uh, seeing this in our world with some hidden messages and logos. Just the most obvious one. If I had a big screen here, I I would show you if we were inside. But do you guys know the FedEx logo? Can you picture it in your mind, FedEx? Does anyone know the the hidden symbol that's in there? Have Have you caught this? There is a little arrow between the the E and the X, I think, right? You're going to have to Google it on your phones here. I'll give you a bunch of blank stares. Here's the thing. Once you see the little arrow in the FedEx logo, you can't not see it now. It's, all, it's there every time. And I think that this is similar to what it is like when you have the eyes of your heart opened. I can't now not see Jesus in my life all around me all the time. Here's what I want you to know. That's not something you do. That's something God does. And God does it here for the disciples. The discovery for the disciples, which we read, look with me back again in verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Now, there's a duty that follows behind this, and we're going to get to that as we work a little bit further to our responsibility. But I want you to see the ability to have the scriptures enlightened onto your heart is something you need to ask whose help. 
I'm, thank you for listening. <coughs> you, you need to ask for God's help. If ever you felt like the Bible is hard to understand, let me tell you where to begin. You just begin by saying, Lord, open my eyes. Lord, help me to see you. And he will deliver that discovery to your hearts as well. Second is this, the divine disclosure. So uh, what is it that their eyes of their hearts are being opened to see? So second blank there is disclosure, the divine disclosure. God has revealed the gospel in the scriptures. Again, Jesus' words in verse, verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. Now, don't let me lose you here. Look, look what the Bible says. Jesus is going to be quoting from what is written. This is before the New Testament. He's reading in the Old Testament. Verse 46, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. According to Jesus, that was to be understood from reading what? From reading the Old Testament. Somehow they missed it. They needed, number one, God's help to see, and they needed, number two, God to actually show them what it was that was there. This morning, you heard from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is all about Jesus. I hope you were able to catch that. I hope your eyes have already been opened in such a way that when you hear the word of God read, you're like, yeah, I'm catching it. I see this is talking about Jesus. This is talking about the Son of God. He is the one who has been anointed, that God has placed on his holy hill, who rules the very end of that psalm. We need to kiss the Son, lest he be angry with us, and all who take refuge in him will be blessed. So the disciples needed this to be seen as coming from the word of God. And here, here's why this is important. This is not some newfangled thing that Jesus is talking about. Jesus doesn't show up with the disciples and be like, hey, let me tell y'all something you ain't never heard before. That's not what he does. He roots the truth of the good news in the revelation that has already been given. The reason why that is important is because it's not up to you. You guys, hopefully you're, you're catching me with this. It's not up to you and I. It has already been told. Our job is to make sure we're understanding that which God has already told us. So the, the good news of the gospel is found in the Old Testament and in, in such a way that even when Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 15, by the way, this would be a good one if you're scratching down notes or if you have your Bible, you could turn there with me. I'm going to read it to you. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 5. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing upon the resurrection of Jesus, <laughs> interestingly enough, that's what's happening in Luke 24. As he's writing concerning the resurrection, he's going to give the gospel. This, by the way, is review. This is what we talked about a year ago when, when we were here. So I know you all like, Pastor, I totally remember this. I got no problem with this at all. But for the new folks that are visiting, I know this is new for you. So 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, listen to what Paul says. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. That, number one, Christ died for our sins. And then he puts this little phrase in there. According to the scriptures. And he was buried. And that three days later, he rose from the grave, in that little phrase, according to the scriptures. And then he says, and he appeared to, uh, and then, then he lists all the people that Jesus appeared to. And just as review from a year ago, this is, this is why this is important. What, what is the gospel? Well, according to Paul, even according to Jesus here in Matthew 24, uh, if you look with me again, verse 46, the Christ will suffer Number one, if you're, if you're going to tell the good news, it begins with recounting that Jesus died for our sins. 
Oh, yeah? How, how you know that? According to the scriptures. The Bible tells me so. Learned it from the good book. You guys with me on this? Jesus died for our sins. I'm not making that up. That's, that, that's what has been revealed to me. And how did they know that that was true? Well, we know it's true because he was buried. That's Paul's report. He, di- he died according to he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried. That's the first part of the gospel. That's really just bad news up until that point, unless you get to the really good news, which is the second half. And then on the third day, what happened? He rose from the grave. Oh yeah, how, how do you know that? According to the scriptures. And that's proven because Jesus appeared afterwards. You guys with me on the two parts here to the gospel? If, if you have ever wanted just a real quick primer on how do you share the gospel, hear me loud and clear. There's two parts to it. Jesus died for the sins of human creatures. And he was buried. I know that because the Bible has told me so. And the second is really good news. On the third day, he rose from the grave and he appeared to people. That's the second part of the gospel message. So for the disciples back in Luke 24, they needed that disclosure to be given to them. They needed to have their eyes of their hearts opened to see it. Number three, (coughs) there is a divine decree. So if you look with me again, uh, after we have the gospel message, like he'll suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. Let me give you a big sigh of relief. Not in your name. Is everybody with me? Like, oh, thank goodness. Oh, I'd be a terrible candidate for Messiah. Right? But thank goodness that repentance and forgiveness are preached in Jesus' name. That's the message. That is the decree. And one of the reasons why I think this is so helpful for us is because what that means is, especially in a world that really hates Jesus and the gospel and the good news, it's not in your name. It's in his name. So if you have a problem with it, that's not my fault. You're actually having a problem with God. I think of this when I, uh, uh, this was a couple years ago, we would uh, we'd go to Subway after church on, on Sunday, and uh, we'd all order our favorite thing, whatever we'd want. And when my son was younger, he'd order a pizza. And do you know what he'd ask the person to put on top of that pizza? Pickles. Pickles. So when we were ordering for Micah, not, again, not in my name, but in his name, we would order a pizza with pickles. And the, the person across, like, did I, did I hear you? You say pickles? Did I hear that right? Yeah, hey, it's not in my name. I'm just telling you what was, was told to me. Listen, that's, a, that's the same responsibility that we have. Forgiveness and repentance of sins, it's preached in Jesus' name. If anyone has a problem with that, that's not on you. Let them, hand, let them deal with God on that because it doesn't rest on a convincing work that you and I have to muster out of our will. It's just Jesus' name. That's it. Like it or not, that's the way it goes. So this is the divine decree that comes forth that helps the disciples realize it's really not on them. It all really depends again on God. Number four is this. There's a divine design. So we have the discovery, the disclosure, the, the decree. Hope you see a pattern here. And now a divine design. Again, in back 40, verse 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
Okay, I have a lot more I'm going to say about this next week, so we're going to kind of put a pin in it for now, except for the fact what I want you to see is that when it comes to sharing the good news, God's strategy is not just, hey, I'll figure it out. Just, yeah, go for it. Let me know how it works out. God actually has a strategy behind the disclosure of the good news. There's a design behind that disclosure, and it means it begins in Jerusalem. The principle behind this for you and I today is that the good news really begins at home. Home is where the disciples lived in Jerusalem, and it was supposed to spread from there to where? Everywhere. Thank you, Jerry. Say it louder. Everywhere. Yeah. You all hear that? It's just, the good news is to spread it everywhere to the ends of the earth. Now, there are some dirt roads in the UP that feel like the ends of the earth, if we're honest, right? So in a lot of ways, you are a fulfillment of that which Jesus has said within this design. Here's the, here's the important part that I want to make sure that you catch, though. There's more dirt roads. You hear me? There, there's still more dirt roads. The job ain't done yet. It needs to start at home, and from there, it spreads to all peoples. Fifthly, there's a divine dispatch. <coughs> Verse 48, he says, You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Anything God says, let me tell you, you can count on it. If God's made a promise, uh, the most significant one, I think, for the church, <laughs> it's a totally different message, but he says, I'm coming back. <laughs> Boy, that's a good sermon, isn't it? Jesus is coming back. Uh, do you think people live today like he's not? Let me tell you this. Anything that God has said, you can count on it. And God has promised, at least within verse 49 from Jesus' own account, the Father has promised to send the disciples something. Now, so the keen Bible student here today, do you know what that is? What, what is that? Shout it out if you know. What is it the Father promised to send the disciples? The Holy Spirit. There is a dispatch that is going to come, not from you. This doesn't depend on you. Who's this depend on? This depends on God to send the Holy Spirit. All right. Five, one last one. Number six, there is a divine delivery. This is the last half of that verse. <coughs> Jesus says, stay in the city until... <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Again, speaking of the Holy Spirit, God here is going to deliver that which they were missing. The disciples did not have the ability in and of themselves to be proper witnesses until they had power from the Holy Spirit. So God's going to take care of that too. There's a great passage. Uh, John writes in, John 15, speaking of the Spirit, he says, when the advocate or the comforter, when the counselor comes, is John 15, 26 and 27. When the Spirit comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, watch this now, he will testify about me. How great is that? So, so God's going God's gonna to send what was promised. God's going to deliver what is promised. And then that which God delivers is going to do the work of testifying. Do we get to do anything? <laughs> I don't know if you're feeling that way at all. But do you see how God is really taking care of all of this in advance for us? 
Now, there is one line. Let me just read verse 27. He says, Jesus says to the disciples, and you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. So I, I want to talk about that just for a minute on this sixth one. The, the divine delivery that God gives in the Holy Spirit is going to fulfill in the disciples' life that was which is missing. Jesus references it in verse 49 as power from on high. Um, if you've ever uh, had a, I remember an old-fashioned radio. I know we have a few folks in their cars that might be listening, 95.5 right here. But if you have a, a radio at home, do you know that that radio will not work unless you plug it in? You, I mean, you could turn the volume knob up all day long, and you're not going to hear a single peep out of that radio until it has power. And the power doesn't come from itself. The power is external from itself. But once you plug the radio in, now you hear what's coming out of the speakers. There's a second part of this, though. Because anyone who's had one of those old radios with the with the dial tone, you, you, you know the kind, right? That once you plug it in, you got noise that's coming out of the radio because there's a second thing that's needed. Once it has power, the second thing is the radio has to be tuned to make sure that it's hearing the reception. I want you to hold on to that metaphor for a minute because this is where we stand and this is where this is where we transition from that which God does to that which you and I get to do. The power does not come from you. The power comes from God. But what's left for you and I is to make sure we're tuned properly. And this is where I think there's a lot that we could preach on. How are you guys doing throughout your week? I've got this app on my watch that, that tells me how many hours a day I spend in front of a screen. That is a depressing little statistic, I'll tell you, if ever you, know, you, that you find out. How much time do I waste during the day, every day? Think of all the media sources that you and I have that are forming our minds, that are influencing how we think. Think of how you and I are being brainwashed to think of a glory of man rather than a glory of God. And how easily that radio that we have... <laughs> goes out of tune and how important it is that we make sure that we're tuned in to actually hear from God that we can obey what he has said so two two observations from this passage that I want to show you number seven there is a disciples dependence look with me one more time here in verse 49 Jesus says stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high first first verb there is stay you remember the picture of the um sailboat without the wind what does the sailboat do don't move doesn't move the disciples without the power without the direction they're told hey look i want you to wait um i i think of a, a good analogy of this are like military exercises where they parachute out of a c-130 or whatever that that plane is you ever see pictures of that where these military guys are jumping out one after another from the plane now, what are every one of these young people wearing on their backs? A parachute. If you're not wearing the parachute, you should probably stay in the plane. You should probably stay. Because what does their safety depend on? It's not on them. It's on the chute that they're waiting for. So, so they have to wait to be clothed in that, in that parachute before they can leap. But once they leap, and there's this a good metaphor because there's faith that's involved to trust the parachute, again, you're not floating down by your own wing power, right? You're trusting the parachute to get you there. 
Well, in the very same way, Jesus tells his disciples, look, y'all need to wait in Jerusalem until you've been equipped, until you have received power from on high. The, the second part of that, though, is the verb clothed. Does your Bible say clothed there? Look with me again at verse 49. Stay in the city until you have been clothed. This is a, it's a unique verb in Greek. It's not the typical one for, for clothed. I had to look it up. It really means this. It means to sink into a garment. Now, have you ever had one of those really chilly January days where you had a crackling fire going and you just put on a hoodie and it was just like, oh, it's nice. You know what I'm talking about? Not in July, I know. Different, different metaphor. That's the verb, though. The verb that he's using, that, that Jesus is using, doesn't mean just to wear clothes. It, it means to, like, sink into them so that they fit you and that they're just all around you. To be vested is the idea. Vested in these garments that, that adorn and that, that fit you properly. The reason why I want to stress that as a metaphor is the Spirit of God is not some abstract entity or force like Star Wars. May the, may the Spirit be with you. May the Spirit be with you. That's not what it is. The Spirit is the transforming power in your life so that as you are, are sinking into the Spirit... When people look at you, just like they see your clothes today, just as when people look at you, they see their clothes, they begin to see less of you and they begin to see more of Jesus. That's what this verb means. So it, it, make sure that we understand that as we're seeking to obey Jesus' commissioning text in Luke, when it comes to the role of the Spirit, what we're talking about is nothing short of transforming who you are and what you look like before the world. This is why this series is called show and tell not tell and tell because your witness is not just with your words your witness is with a transformed life where you no longer love the things you used to love but you are now characterized by a kind of godliness that seeks to glorify the creator and not not who you are anymore you guys with me on this you understanding that's what the word clothed means it means a, tra- a full top to bottom restoration of what you look like before the world That's the kind of transforming power that will enable you to be a witness. That will enable you to really testify before the world that you have the Spirit, not as this inner uh, abstract entity, but that the Spirit living within you produces a kind of fruit that gets depicted in your life that the world says, I don't even know how you do it. How how do you have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? How do you have those things? And you say, "It's it's actually not from me. It's the Spirit of God that has transformed me to look this way. That's what Jesus has in mind. That's our role. It's a role. Hear me? You guys with me still? It's a role of dependence. Number eight. Oh, actually, before, before I say that, one, one, one last thing, point I want to make on that. Because Jesus is giving you the Spirit, do you, know that, do you know what that makes you in a court of law? That doesn't make you a secondhand witness any longer. That makes you a first eyewitness. You're you're a first-hand witness. The Spirit of God that you are clothed in allows you to be an eyewitness to give testimony about who God is. I wanted to make sure I I pointed that out because witness is the theme for today. All right, lastly, number eight is the disciples' duty. (coughs) The disciples' duty. Now, if you get a letter in the mail from a judge, it is your constitutional duty to show up for court. 
right? That's your, that is our role. And it's a good thing. It's a really, it was a, it's a fantastic thing. We have the freedom to live in a country where we are judged according uh, to a, a cross section of our peers. That's, that's a really uh, great thing to have, but it's your duty. And if you don't show up, believe me, the judge said he's going to make some phone calls is what he told the, the rest of us. <coughs> the disciples have a duty as well. Look with me again in the text, verse 48, Jesus's words. This is worth underlining in your Bible. You are witnesses of these things. This is our duty. This is our job. In John's uh, letter that he writes to the church, 1 John chapter 1, this is as he's beginning his letter. First three verses, I'd love for you to hear them. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which we have touched with our hands, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. All right, what would you, what would you call John? Starts with a W. You'd call him a witness, wouldn't you? Because what's he reporting on? Does he have to convince anybody? You have to convince them. He's like, this is what we saw. This is what we heard. This is what we've seen, looked at. This is what we've touched. That is what he is reporting on. Church, you hear me? That's your duty as well. When it comes to showing and telling, when it comes to showing the gospel with our lives, it's a life transformed by the Spirit, and it's a message that you have been equipped to speak to as a first-hand eyewitness because of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And that is what we get to report. That is your witness, and that is your testimony. In your sermon notes, I have a section on application, and this is a part I want to take very seriously for today. So just if you're able to to pull that out and have it in front of you. Um, We we started with six observations of what God does. There's four of them. In fact, the first four, I don't know if you can see, I kind of color-coordinated this, so you can see that the application comes directly from the text, from the Bible. But just a couple of questions that I want to ask of you as we're seeking to obey God's word here today and this morning. The first is this. Is your mind being formed by Jesus? I'd love it if you could circle a a yes or a no on that. Just an honest answer. You're not going to turn this in. This is for you only. right? But how would you answer that? Is my mind being formed by Jesus or by Netflix or by the news media or by whatever other source that I am reading? Because that's the challenge in this world. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi, look, if there's anything true and noble and right, if there's anything pure, not much in our world today that's pure if you turn the TV on, if there's anything pure and lovely and admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things. Like, let your mind dwell on those things. 
I think a, a big challenge in our life is making sure that our minds, because they're always being formed, but we need to make sure that they're being formed by Jesus. If you put a no there, if, if you're honest today and you're like, you know what? I really think I've got an imbalance in my life so that my mind is really being formed more by what I see on a screen or on the internet uh, computer screen. Um, the answer to this is you need to begin renewing your mind. It's a whole other sermon in Romans chapter 12, but that's the answer. You need to begin to have your mind transformed by the spirits leading in your life. Secondly, here's my question. Are you feeding on his word? Do you remember what did Jesus do at the very beginning? He opened the eyes of their heart so that they could understand what? Just the Bible. So that they could understand his word. That they could see Jesus in it. Well, what about you? Are, are you feeding on the word? If there, was a, if there was a pastoral dietitian that were to give you some survey questions, would you be starved today? Would you be like, this is, this is the first time all week I looked at a Bible. I don't even know where my Bible is. You're, you're, you're starving. You're, you're, you're almost anorexic for God's bread, for food, because you're not feeding your soul off his word. Now, I can't answer that. Only you can answer that. But if your answer is no, well, let me tell you, you need to begin by reading his word. I, come, come up here Wednesday, 8 a.m. We're going to have a great Bible study. So much more to talk about that I, I'm going to have to skip over for today. So ask me that on Wednesday when we get together. But that's where we begin by reading his word. Third question. Do you remember the gospel? Oh, yeah, we talked about that a year ago. Uh, where, where, is it, where, where do we find the gospel? According to the word. So if you're not reading the word, you probably have forgotten the gospel. Two parts to it. He died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was raised on the third day. And then let me tell you about what that means in my life. Let, let me tell you about what I've seen and what I've heard. Let me give you my story. Let me give you my testimony. If you, if you, if you don't remember the gospel, you need to start recalling it, finding time in his word that you would know it backwards and forwards. Fourthly, are you committed to God's mission? <coughs> you know, we, we have sought here over the many, many years to provide a budget and an opportunity and a challenge with leadership to meet the requirements of our duty locally, nationally, and internationally. This year, we have planned for the first time to do an international missions trip. And I still hear from some people, you know what, I don't know if I'm on board with that. I don't know about this international business. Let me ask you the question, are you on board with God's mission? Because God's mission is more than just Segola and Channing and the UP. God's mission goes down every single last dirt road that there is. How are those people going to hear unless you, unless you go? So how, how do you get on board with God's mission? What do I need to do? Because understand this, if, if part of our church is going to be going to DR, all of our church is going. Can I say that again? Do you guys hear me? If part of our church is going to be going, that means all of us are going. Only some of us are going to be getting on an airplane, but we're all going together. And that means we all need to be on board on all three levels of God's strategy and design for missions. Remember, he had a strategy. It begins in your Jerusalem and it goes to the ends of the earth. So if you're not on board, if you're not committed, if you're not committed with God in his mission, my encouragement to you is to begin reaching out. Now, if you've answered those four questions, yes, 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 yes. So you don't have any of these requirements here to work on. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Share the gospel. That's the last blank in your sermon notes. Share the gospel by displaying the power of the Spirit concerning your testimony 
of what God has done in your life because you have made Jesus your Lord. You have submitted to him as your Lord. One last verse I want to give you. Uh, This is from 1 Peter 3. You heard it already from Maury today in our New Testament reading. Uh, It comes in the context of doing good works. Peter says, before he says, always prepare to give an answer, always prepare to give a response. Before he says that, he says, set apart Christ in your hearts as Lord. Church, I want you to know that's where it begins. Jesus is my Lord. And because he's my Lord, my life is transformed. And so you and I need to always be prepared to give an answer for all those who ask us to give the reason for your hope. What's the reason for your hope? I'm going to end this morning by sharing a a clip I saw this morning uh, from a Christian apologist about many, many Christians who leave the faith. Do you know that's kind of an epidemic right now? People who are leaving the church? Y'all still with me here, right? You know, people leaving the church is kind of epidemic going on in our world today. One of the top reasons that they give for leaving the church is other Christians. They're just hypocrites. That's all they are. They're just hypocrites. Okay. I think you may have misunderstood our our whole gig here. We're not pretending to be perfect. We flawed hypocrites are seeking to follow the one who is perfect. And he died for my sins. And he rose again on the third day. And so do you know what that proves? If you see hypocrites in the church, it actually proves the fact that Jesus is the only perfect one. And that his death, burial, and resurrection is that which gives us hope. That's why we follow him. My hope for you and I today is that we take Jesus' last words seriously. Luke 24, this is what he says to his disciples. This one doesn't have so much of the go, but it has God's going to do the hard work. You know what your job is? You just be a witness to show and tell. What have you seen from God? What have you heard from God living in your heart? What has he opened the eyes of your heart to understand about God? And how has he touched your life? That's what you get to share. Amen. Will you pray with me today?